Well, good evening, everyone. So glad to be with you all. I want to invite you, if you didn't get one when you came in, to grab one of these communion packs here at this table. We'll be observing communion in just a few minutes. I also want to invite you to turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. If you would like to turn there or swipe there, we've got a lot to unpack. This is a very Bible-y kind of theology uh, geared and oriented passage because they had some things to sort out in this movement. I'll remind you that Acts is the story of how the good news of Jesus is on the move to everyone, everywhere. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, really does mean everyone. We see in the early and middle portions of the book that the good news of Jesus is being preached to the hated Samaritans and people of different um, religious and ethnic backgrounds. And Luke is underlying, lining through the early and middle part that I really mean everyone. And then more recently, in Acts chapter 14, we see that Luke is underlining, I really mean everywhere. Paul and Barnabas from their home base in Antioch are going hither and yon to greater or lesser results, bringing the good news of Jesus and planting churches. So last week, if you're interested on how the early church looked and felt, I talked a lot about that. It was a fellowship of difference rubbing elbows at the table. People were eating across from others they never would have seen or interacted with. And now all of a sudden they're calling them brother and sister and raising a cup to their king, not Caesar, but Jesus. It was wild. It was groundbreaking. And what happens when these churches are popping up in houses all over town faster than they can franchise? What I mean by that is, before we moved from our old house, we got a new Chipotle. The Broncos know this Chipotle, and it had a Chipotle lane, and I was so excited because now you can pick up your mobile orders through the drive through and it was this revolutionary burrito technology, and I was so excited, and it was the grand opening, and we're Chipotle fiends, and it was the worst Chipotle experience I've ever had. And I thought, maybe they're just trying to figure it out. And I went back, and somehow it was even worse. And, and then I realized that they had a new manager because it was so bad. And they're trying to train the staff. And I go through the drive-thru, and they tell me to wait. And I said, no, I need it now. And eventually I realized the world wasn't ready for Chipotle Lane technology. They hadn't figured it out. They hadn't got the franchise sorted. But now they have. It took time, and in some less silly way, Miguel, what's happening as the movement spreads so rapidly, as the fingerprints of Jesus through the Holy Spirit are all over this region, there is a lot of mixed messages about what we do next. How do we church together? How does it work in Corinth and Galatia, and how does it work in Jerusalem? We better get this franchise figured out. We got to make sure that we don't gum up the drive through and that we're all on the same page as the movement extends. Acts 15 is almost literally in the middle of the book, and it's a hinge and a pivot 
that will take the rest of the New Testament to sort out. Acts 15 is a pivotal moment that will take the rest of the New Testament to figure out. If you thought that Chipotle Lane was a mess and took a year to fix, it's going to take the rest of the New Testament to sort out how do we follow Jesus together as a fellowship of difference. Jesus, the Jewish king from the Jewish movement, but now it's gone to everyone, everywhere. So I have a lot of thoughts on this. And so Lord willing, I'm going to try to extend the rest of this book or this chapter into next week and the next week because I've got a lot that I want to sort through because this is way more important than burritos. So with all that being said, let's dive into Acts chapter 15. I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard. I don't always, but we are here and it's on the screen. Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas are hanging at their home base, and certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Pause there. Modern versions of this, unless you go to this church or have this ritual. This is happening early on in the movement. Verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and elders. Let's figure this out together. Verse 3. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all believers. Hold on to that. That's important. Hey, guys, remember, all these people, everyone everywhere, are receiving the good news, and people are loving it. But they've got to go to Jerusalem to sit down and hammer out, okay, but how can we still church together? Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, <clears throat> It is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, again, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. Pause there. If you're taking notes at home, it's been a minute since we looked at Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. What's really funny is Peter stands up and he's like, you knew that you chose me. Meanwhile, Peter was hungry on the roof of a friend's house, had a vision of a confusing picnic, and the voice of the Lord said, get up and eat it all. And he says, no, Lord, I can't do that. And he said, Peter, eat. And he goes, no, 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 I will never touch an unclean thing. It says, Peter, eat. And then just as soon as 
He's finishing this vision. A knock at the door comes, and he's invited to a Roman military Gentile's house that would serve all the kinds of things on that crazy picnic menu. And so Peter has a day or two's journey to go to talk to this person to figure out, am I really about to not eat kosher and enter a Gentile's home for the very first time? So Peter is gladly recounting, hey, remember a while back when I went to Cornelius' house? I was chosen to do that. More like the Holy Spirit built a bridge and helped push you and shove you into this meal. And it was a game changer. But now all these churches are sorting out, okay, do we have to be Jewish? Or can these Gentiles, like Cornelius, jump into God's family too? You with me on all this? Here we go. Back to our text. Peter continues and says, And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God who did this to the test by placing on their neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors, he means our Jewish forefathers, nor we have been able to bear? What's the yoke that he's talking about? I can't hear you. We've got a fan going. Being circumcised, what else? Following the whole law. Guys, Jesus said something about an easy yoke, and y'all are like, actually, let's keep doing this Moses law. On the contrary, verse 11, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Three years ago, before COVID, I was, is that better or, yeah? That made a lot of sound. Yeah, some of I was about to take a nap up here. That's the kind of nap sound. I digress. Three years ago, I used to lead worship downtown Dallas for a homeless ministry twice um, a month. And so every time my routine, because I hated driving downtown Dallas at 7 a.m., I would wind up at a coffee shop in Deep Ellum. And the things I overheard were just so much fun. But one thing I overheard in that coffee shop in Deep Ellum, I'll never forget. I was sitting down, kind of typing away an email or something, and then there were these two gentlemen that met and were kind of chit-chatting and they're kind of, you know, reconnecting, and one of them gets a phone call, and he says, hold on one sec, man, this is super important. So he walks outside, takes the phone call, and a minute or two later, he walks back in, and he is pumping his fists in the air going, yes, yes, hallelujah. So I'm not overhearing. I can't not hear. This guy has now got the whole attention of the whole coffee shop, and he goes up to his buddy, and they literally bump chests, okay? They're high-fiving, and I'm like, man. This guy's day is made. What's going on? And he goes, I did it. I did it. And he's like announcing this to the whole shop. He said, probation for three years? 
Just got let off six months early. I'm off of probation, baby! So it's like 10 o'clock in the morning, and people are like doing emails and stuff, and they're like, hey, cool, congrats. But he is hugging and like crying with this guy, and his friend asks him, I'm not lying to you. I wrote this down. I had to go back through. I was like, did this happen? It happened. He said, what are you going to do next? He goes, let's get out of here. We're going to get wasted. And I thought they were joking. They left. They went to a bar, and he was trying to get wasted at 10 a.m. after probation. And I said, someday this is going to be a sermon illustration. Because it begs the question. And I'm sitting there going, what are you doing with your newfound freedom? And you have a choice. This is a pivotal moment in the life of God's people. It's the moment. The Jesus moment is where it's all headed, as Jason talked about earlier in our prayer time. And what are you going to do with this newfound freedom? There's still a yoke. There's still an ethical expectation of being God's people together. But Jesus offers a yoke that we walk with him. He offers a law on the Sermon on the Mount that distills what God's people had for generations. And this is the context and content of what we're going to be after tonight. But the question is true of you. If I feel free and liberated to live in love in God's kingdom, I have a choice. You have a choice to revert back to your old ways or to move forward in a new direction. And sometimes we sit there and we say, why do I keep going back to these old ways, these old things that I thought I was done with and, and, and had left off? And the reason is because there's a comfort there. Instead of blazing a new trail forward, And this is what's facing the church. And so what we have in this moment with this newfound freedom, these new people popping up that seem to be shortcutting the line because there's a bunch of Jewish Christians that have heard the message of Jesus and said, but I had to have a medical procedure. And Cornelius and these others, they seem to have just cut in line. And then some of the disciples say, yeah, Jesus kind of told stories about how these other people were working all day in the fields. And then when the master went out and hired all these others, they only worked for an hour, but they got the same pay. And they're starting to think through these things in theory. And they think that something has happened in Jesus that's freed them from sin, death, evil, And invited them to blaze this new trail with God. But these Jewish Christians are saying, so when's he going under the knife? When's he going to stop eating shrimp? Because I had to eat kosher my whole life. We got issues in Acts chapter 15. Tonight we're going to explore this first question, which is really two questions. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to get out to the longer portion of the text. But that first issue we have here, if you'll forgive my silly way of saying it, the Christian Pharisees, Pharisees who belong to the Jewish sect that we've heard a lot about in the Gospels that Jesus feuded with and tried to push in a new direction, they did come to Jesus. Paul was a Pharisee, do you remember? So they believed Jesus, but then they came down and said, hey, Paul and Barnabas, Uh, 
this new church you're planning, all these dudes better be circumcised. Basically, what they're asking is, is it still a cheeseburger if you remove the patty? Because this is a big deal. Circumcision is a big deal. The temple is a big deal. The law is a big deal. And I feel like if you take any one of those pieces, Carla, we're talking about it tonight. (laughs) That's why the kids are dismissed. If you take out what makes the thing a thing, is it still a cheeseburger? For generations, God's people had lived according to the 613 laws of the Torah. And it seems like you're taking out this vital piece of our identity. But they also framed it not just as a practice. It was the ultimate. Do you remember in verse 5 when he said, you must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be what? To be what? Saved. That's a term that we like to throw away or throw around a lot. Those of us who grew up in Baptist circles, it doesn't appear a whole lot in the New Testament, but this is the big deal, to be delivered, to be rescued, to be part of God's kingdom family now and always. They've elevated these rituals to the point of salvation. But can we blame them? Because their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers had died to keep this part of their identity. And part of what we're after with this, and I was texting with someone this week in our church, and this is a pastor's dream, when this person texted and said, are you doing Acts 15 this week? And I said, yes. And they said, I'm reading it, and I have a lot of questions. I'm like, oh, man, this is like a fastball right over the plate. This is beautiful. This doesn't happen all the time. And then I just confused this person even more because I gave her like all my sermon notes that I was working on. But we're talking through it, and the, the, the question is like, why is it a big deal? How would they even know? Do you get what I mean? What about the women? And I was trying to convey that there's something about circumcision that is the first thing. Before Moses, there is Abram, and he said, you're going to have a whole nation And imagine, if you will, a literal reminder on Abraham's person, the thing through which a nation will be born, so to speak. Every time he looks down is a reminder of God's covenant and agreement with him. And then you enact that for every kid in Genesis 17 on the eighth day. Jesus was circumcised. It was something about the male line that hearkened back to like the first promise of Israel. This was a big deal. But what about the women? Nobody's going around and checking IDs. And I was trying to convey that in their day, occupied by Rome, spread out through all of Asia Minor and Northern Africa, you didn't have to check their ID. You knew. You knew the way they dressed, the way they wore their hair, the way they ate, the way they carried themselves, the way they didn't work on Saturday. You knew they were a peculiar and holy people. And the men carried that promise, even as a child, their whole life to remember that God has chosen a peculiar and special nation. And this was a big deal. Now imagine in the time that Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15 is happening, all these churches springing up, 
They're sitting there clinging to their life to keep kosher, to resist Rome, to go to the temple, and it will get so tense politically and racially that A.D. 70, the Jewish people will revolt and Rome will knock down the temple. Guess what? They've never rebuilt the temple. Have you heard about the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall? Do you know why your Jewish friends don't sacrifice bulls and goats anymore? Because there's no temple. So at this pivotal stage, this Jesus movement comes around and some Jews believe and they're mixing with Gentiles and they know that this was always part of the plan to be a nation that blessed all nations and now we're here and okay, it's one thing to eat differently, but now you're taking away circumcision? Now you're taking away the way we wear our hair and the way we work or not work? What's going on? I think what's at view here is a difference in the signs and evidence of whether or not you're in. For thousands of years, you were in God's family if the men were circumcised and you followed the law and your women followed the law. The sign that you were in God's family was on your physical person, and then you evidence that by living the Torah. Let me help illustrate this in modern terms. When I was born, I was born into the Episcopal Church. I have a certificate of baptism from when I was an infant. And it was this way in which they carried on that kind of initiation to say, At eight days old, this Jewish kid, or at eight months old, this Adam kid doesn't really know how to follow God, but we're marking him out to raise him in the way of God's kingdom people. You with me on this? I have the certificate because I don't remember it. But the hope, and I didn't stay in the Episcopal Church, was that as I grew in the way of the kingdom and the church, that I would begin to live the way of Jesus and confirm that initial baptism or circumcision symbol. Really, no Jew, I think if you really drilled down, thought you are saved because you got circumcised. A lot of the Old Testament says, really, what's your festivals if your hearts are far from me? Really, what's all that? I mean, Abraham, who was the first one told about circumcision in Genesis 15, we're told that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I need you to understand that to be saved is always and forever about responding to God in faith and trust. Whether you're Abram 6,000 years ago or Adam at age 10. So later I moved to this Baptist church and I start to hear the gospel about how I need to personally respond to Jesus and put my faith in him. And so guess what? I got baptized again because I didn't remember when I was a baby, but I felt something then that was like, I want in. And so I said yes to Jesus 
in the way a 10-year-old could. And I believe that even now I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in spits and starts and in hills and valleys, I've tried to live the Jesus way with Jesus for the last 26 years. Now, for Israel and the Judean and Pharisaical Christians, they're still operating in, hey, I know saving faith, you trust in God, but if you trust God, read the Bible, get circumcised, and follow the rules. But what Paul and Barnabas and Peter are saying is, but look at the Gentiles. They just believed. They just trusted Jesus. And they're not marked with a surgical procedure. They were literally filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about this next week. Stay with me. The goal was that the law would always be written on their hearts. The goal, and they talked about this, is that they would be circumcised, set apart in their hearts. Are you with me? So the Mosaic covenant, the agreement said, Abraham's covenant was get circumcised. Moses' covenant was live the Torah. It's an evidence that you're really a part of the family. Jesus' covenant, the new covenant, in my blood that we do every week with communion, the new covenant spoken of, and write this down, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. We're going to look at it next week, Lord willing. The evidence of the new covenant is not circumcision. It's not Torah. It's the literal spirit of God indwelling people from all nations. When Jesus sits at the table and says, it's time for a new covenant. What Jesus had already done for three years is take the symbols of temple and circumcision and law. And we talked a lot about this, I feel like, in Lent or some series recently. This is mind-blowing. Jesus took the primary symbols and practices of his Jewish faith and completely reoriented it around him. Jesus says, I am the temple where heaven and earth meets and where you go and meet God. I'm the sacrifice. I'll tell you what the law is. You've heard it said, but I say to you. What they heard it said was literally the Mosaic covenant in Leviticus. But I say to you. And by the way, in the same space that Jesus talks about the law, he says, I did not come to abolish it. Later, Jesus and what the church has to figure out, because Jesus didn't really do it for them, they're going to figure out what about circumcision. But they take what Jesus did by taking those symbols and reorienting around him for this. This is super important, how Jesus relates to the law. Watch these statements. In Jesus, the law is not abolished. It is fulfilled and focused. The Sermon on the Mount is not Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with Ten Commandments. It's Jesus showing the world how to take the Ten Commandments plus and get them into your bones with the help of God himself. He fulfills it. As Romans 10 says, Jesus is the culmination of the law, and he focuses it. Last week, in a lot of weeks, I say that the way of Jesus I've come to believe is simpler and deeper 
than we've ever made it. It's simpler in that Jesus basically sums the whole thing up by saying, love God with everything, love your neighbor as yourself. Later, I'll reference a few verses where Paul and James will say, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfilled the whole law. That's radical. That's focused, right? So now when the Jewish people come down and they say they got to be circumcised, they got to follow the law of Moses, Paul and Peter said, we already figured this out, man. They, Peter was there. They got filled with the Holy Spirit, just like you and I. There's no distinction here. The end of Peter's argument is they got grace just like we did. They didn't follow one of them laws. They turned to Jesus. Jesus gave them his life in the down payment of the Holy Spirit. And so now it feels like this is what God always wanted in expanding Israel. So I believe that Israel is not replaced It gets extended and enlarged in Jesus. This is the whole argument of the last half of Romans. And it's thorny and it's complex. Let me disentangle it for you. You've always wondered, what's up with the Jews? What's up with the Christians? The people that follow Jesus from that Jewish movement are reconstituted, renewed, expanded Israel. God had a people Israel. Then he opened up the doors And all the nations flooded in to follow the Jewish Savior, who is the Savior of the world. He didn't say, done. It's reconstituted. It's what the Old Testament was always hoping and longing for. It happened in Jesus, and the Pharisees need to walk with him. But don't we miss the point, too? I love, and this is just a quick note. That something so fraught racially, politically, as they're fighting for their life. Notice how it's possible for these brothers to dissent and debate without demonizing and dehumanizing each other. I can't stress to you how this chapter in the middle of this book is so big. It takes the rest of the New Testament to figure it out. And Luke doesn't give us any note of Paul doing what he's done before. These sons of the devil. He didn't, he didn't say, here's how the Judean Pharisees are totally missing the point and they're terrible and they suck at being Christians. A thread. And they tweet the rest. And I'm on my Twitter feed and I'm seeing As you've all said, and we've all said, more and more division, we're more and more extreme, and I'm just sitting there going, yes, we see it, we recognize it, we talk about it, but can we lead the way in disagreeing without disengaging? Can we lead the way in disagreeing while dialoguing? And I am not telling you You need to affirm every nonsense thing that's out there on either side. What I'm saying is we see when obstacles happen in the movement of Jesus, they get together and discern and pray and look at the story. And they say, where is God moving in this? And they tell stories of how people have given their lives to Jesus and been transformed. And you know what happened in Acts 10? 
and 11, when Peter told them and they had a same kind of counsel, they literally said, well, I guess God is on the move doing something wild again. And I'm afraid that the church in America today never gets to that point by recognizing God's hand because all they see is this terrible, fake, horrible Christian in quotes. And there are people that say ridiculous things and they don't look anything like Jesus. I'm talking about the people in our life that you know know God. There's a way that we can disagree without dehumanizing. There's a way that we can disagree without demonizing. We see it here and it's by keeping the main thing and the move of God central. I just think this is so powerful because they really did miss the point. Here's how it looks to miss the point. Jesus plus blank, you've missed the point. I grew up and thought that God was super angry at me because I was really bad at waking up to have a quiet time and journal. I'm not laughing when I tell you I thought I wasn't saved because I couldn't journal. And my youth pastor didn't tell me or else there was something that we do as humans to say it can't be that easy. And I want to tell you, you're right. That's why it's simpler and deeper. I went through a real nostalgic Christian rock rabbit hole on YouTube last night. And there was a song from Delirious called Deeper. And it says, and the wonder of it all is I'm living just to fall. What? More in love with you. Anybody? And I'm sitting here thinking, it's simple. Give your life to Jesus. That's the entryway. The door is not circumcision or the law or check, check all these boxes or join this church. It's simple. And yet, it takes a whole life to work out. Living just to fall more in love with him. To respond to the love that you've seen in Jesus. So what does it look like in our church? There's this idea in sociology as we wind down of a bounded set and a centered set. And many of us, and there are many churches that exist to say there is a clear picture of who is welcome and who is not. Who is in our community and who is not. It's the way you dress, it's the way you talk, it's the way you give, it's the way you were baptized, and it's the way you're this. And, the, and a lot of these things matter. I think it matters how you're baptized. But when I say that, I mean were you baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I prefer to baptize adults that have said yes to Jesus today, but there's this sense in which the real only boundary is have you said yes to Jesus? Can you say Jesus is Lord? But what if we shifted out of this, you're in or you're out because you kept my rules and you did this and you were this and you were that. Whatever the modern day version of the obstacles we put in place that look like the Christians in Acts 15. 
What if we stepped into a centered set? What if there were people in our church, in the neighborhood church in Garland, that it didn't matter so much how close they were to the center of God's beating heart and the holiest of holies. It mattered less where they were in proximity, and it was more about position. What if it mattered more to be a church in Garland, to say it matters more if your feet and face are fixed on Jesus. Wherever that is, if you've said yes to him, let's walk together. You may be a hot mess six days a week, but on Saturday you're showing up and you're praying and you're worshiping and you're hearing good news and you say, Jesus, I want you, I'm yours, and you follow him for a good two hours after dinner. Can we be a space that says we can work with that. What matters most positionally is if your feet and your face are pointed to Jesus. Can we make room for people in this space and in our neighborhood and in our neighborhood groups who haven't even gotten that far? Their face and their feet, they're not pointed there. They're all over the road. But can we have space at the table? The reason Acts 15 and the rest of the New Testament is so pivotal, the kingdom movement would not have worked because the Jewish Christians would not have gotten that far. They would have never had a group meet in their home because they wouldn't eat kosher. And Paul and Barnabas says, you're still on probation. You're still in the old way. You're liberated. There's a new yoke, and it's going to cost you your whole life, but it's not going to cost you a medical procedure. You with me? The centered set says, we need to talk to our children about saying yes back to God who said yes to them. I don't know how this looks, but it probably doesn't look like scaring them with hell. It probably doesn't look like forcing them to repeat after me. You may get to a point, though, where they say, I think I want to give my life to Jesus. And you say, great, let's pray. I've done that. But I've done that with kids in our church that say, God is calling me and I want to say yes to him. And we say, what does that yes look like? And they say to follow him as Lord. And I say, bingo, face and feet to Jesus and let's figure it out together. There's going to be a moment with our kids and our students where we're, they're back there hearing about how to pray for wisdom tonight. Because of what James said, they're looking at Solomon, these things that Carlos put together. And God is moving them. He's bringing them closer to his heart. We trust that God loves them. We trust that God's calling them. And so we find them somewhere in that spiral on the bounded and centered set. And we say, at some point, you're going to turn your eyes to Jesus. And are we going to be a church that facilitates that or hinders that? You're going to worry about saying the right words and doing this. Trust that God is calling them like he called the Gentiles. And it's messy and it's wild. And you're going to have to figure some things out as they grow. But there's going to be a moment where they say yes back to God. And then you say, cool, that was a big step. Followed by a million other little steps as we keep on following Jesus together. That's what we're after. That's what it looks like to be God's people today. It's not an issue of exclusion. 
the Pharisees had. It's not meeting in Jerusalem to really hammer out, okay, who's really out? It's a radical inclusion that's on the table. There are people that God is calling. How do we get them in the family? That's what's on issue here. That's what's on deck. But it always centers on Jesus. So let me close by reading what Paul will say later to the same Christians he met in Acts 14. The same issue, I'm sure he's real mad that he still had to talk about because we don't figure it out as fast as God wants us to all the time, do we? Do y'all know that in Acts chapter 21, we're going to talk about this again because he's going to go back and the Jewish Christians are still doing mosaic practices. And you know what Paul's going to do? He's going to say, whatever, I'll, I'll do it with him. And when he has Timothy, who's a Gentile, he says circumcision doesn't matter. But you know what he's going to do with Timothy? He's going to circumcise a grown man. Not because it matters to God, but because it's going to matter to the Jews he's trying to reach. It's messy. But this is what Paul really thinks, and we'll close with this. Galatians chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free from probation and sin and otherwise. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. He means if you're still going down that door, knocking on that door for a salvation, you don't need Jesus. You missed it. Jesus plus, you missed it. Verse 3. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated then to obey the rest of it. Just do the rest. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace, which is what Peter says. But through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Sit with this the rest of the week. Ready? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through Torah, through circumcision, through temple, through quiet time and journal, through church attendance, no, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So where does that leave us as we close? Well, maybe these three things to take with us. Where in our thinking and acting are we missing the point? Lest we call these brothers. Love, number two, fulfills the law. These are those things you can make note of that I mentioned earlier. If you love your neighbor, you've fulfilled the law. Something to take with us in a demonizing and dehumanizing culture. If God is love, are we, as his kids, bearing the resemblance? Finally, where can we disagree without dehumanizing, even on the most important things? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this time together. We're grateful for how you guided your people through the wilderness. 
how you guided them into a nation, how you guided them through conflict in the establishment of your church. And it's your church. So we just want to pay attention to you and respond appropriately. So here, as we remember the new covenant that was made, not by bulls and goats, but by you on the cross, may we taste freedom together and follow you in the way of love that is so simple, yet extremely costly. May we love like you love now and each moment this week. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Go in peace, assured that God has heard and will continue to hear your prayers. Remember that no curtain separates us from the presence of the Lord. Therefore, every table at which you will sit this week, be it at a school desk, a workbench, a lunch counter, a meeting room table, an office desk, a board across sawhorses, your own kitchen or dining room table, every table is God's altar. So, Boldly pray, hold fast to hope, and encourage and provoke one another to put love into action. Amen, and go in peace.